0: This is the Guardian.
1: For Peter Dutton, his disapproval is actually lower than Albanese's now. His approval's lower tooth. He did not really have a summer holiday. He was shouty. And for Dutton to decide that his path to power is going to just be to destroy. Anthony Albanese for having broken a promise, he's starting from a pretty low base.
0: Hello, I'm Paul Karp, Chief Political Correspondent at Guardian Australia. Before we start, I wanted to let you know that the political editor, Catherine Murphy, has decided to take a new job in Anthony Albanese's office. I want to thank Catherine for everything that she's done here, all the way back to being one of the founding members of Guardian Australia over 10 years ago. The podcast will continue with me and other members of the politics team. For our first episode in 2024, I'm here with Peter Lewis, the director of Essential Media and also a long-time friend of the pot, who brings a message from Murph as well.
1: It feels like a missive coming out from a hostage, which isn't what it is. So firstly, yes, it's a a very big move for Murph. And I think I kind of have two emotions. One is thoughts and prayers. um, But secondly, it's a really, really critical role to be playing in a world where truths are so heavily contested. Um, I did speak to Catherine on the cab on the way down to record this, Paul, and she just wanted me to, on her behalf, let the listeners know that the... Australian Politics Pod had brought her the most joy and the most fun of anything she'd done in her long and storied career and she wanted to particularly thank all those from across the political spectrum who have given her um, feedback over the years and been part of the community that's really grown around her integrity and her personality and that the rest of us can continue to um, be part of.
0: Yeah, I, I, it it let her close the door on the uh, craziness of Parliament and have you know quality, in-depth conversations with people that went beyond uh, gotchas. And I think the audience has uh, you know benefited from hearing the workings of how she goes about her business and the the way she teased the issues out in, in subtler ways that you get over this long form. I, it, it's such a privilege to listen to her her do it, and I. I Learned so much from her and she's been a huge booster of all of us and, and taught us so much. But we'll all have to struggle on without her, including having a quality conversation today with you. So High bar, Paul. High bar. That means that we are going to be digging into the poll uh, and that's the first poll back for 2024 and you asked in the week that we were getting a new tax policy what people thought of the old one.
1: Yeah, so the first poll back is always fraught. It's normally about the end of January. Nothing much has happened except Australia Day is coming up. So we asked people, what do you think about Australia Day? And we were in the field on Tuesday and then the um, media started being briefed and the stories started coming out on the Wednesday that there were changes afoot. We didn't know the details at that point and it takes us three to four days to fill up our sample. But we squeezed in a question, but it was purely the question that we'd asked um, in November last year which was the detail that we'd had back then. So this is not a question that actually reflects the policy position, but it gets an initial bit of feedback on the various places that the government could take around the proposed changes to the tax system. The question itself is also like a short novel because we were trying to get all the information in. And if people want to read it, they can go to theessentialreport.com.au. But basically the three options we gave people were: the changes should go ahead as planned in July 24, the changes should go ahead for those earning less than 200 grand, but should be deferred for those earning more. So kind of a half-half, which isn't the policy that came up. And the, and the final option was the tax changes should be revised. So they mostly benefit those on low and middle incomes. Oh, and there was a fourth one, sorry. So I've already contradicted myself, poor quality control. The fourth one was the tax changes should not go ahead at all. So 13% say there should be no tax cuts at all. On the other side, 22% say go ahead as planned. The vast majority want to change. 47% support the position that basically reflects where the government's going, another 19% would have been happy for probably a more um, heavy-handed intervention, which would have been put the benefits to those under 200,000 and stop it altogether. And, and the other thing we've seen is that there's been a shift since November, um, a six-point increase in the support for the position the government's um, ultimately taken. So way too early to call how this will play out because it's going to be played out in the context of um, truth in politics, um, liar, liar, how am I going to get, um, when am I going to get the money, how much is it going to be, and I think also why are you giving it to the rich people at all. So there's a lot to play out. But these numbers suggest that knee-jerk people um are ready for a reformulation of those tax changes. And I think the onus is now on the government to explain how their decision will materially benefit the vast majority of Australians.
0: And there were big uh, partisan differences as as well, weren't there? Uh, Labor and the Greens get to a a majority of them wanted the tax change to benefit low and middle, whereas it's Mm. closer to a third, 37% with the Coalition. Uh, But even Coalition... Its supporters, even them, more wanted changes at 37% than wanted the tax cuts to go ahead as planned at 33%.
1: That's right. And also look at the minor party's independence at all also include the Teals now, and they were the most enthusiastic of all. So those that vote for One Nation, for independence, for Palmer, for Jackie Lambie, um, the the Teal Independents, i.e. the cross-votes, like they are the strongest constituency for um, these changes. So that's interesting as well. So I've, I've been thinking about this over the last week, Paul, in terms of other famous examples of political lies, if you use the crude term. And I I think um, no one's going to be saying there wasn't a commitment before the election and since the election for those changes to be passed on without being changed. Um, I think the government will say circumstances have changed and therefore you'd be crazy not to change your position with it. But if you look at where um, there have been successful campaigns against leaders who have been accused of lying in our recent memory... Julia Gillard on the carbon tax, Tony Abbott on the budget. On both those occasions, the lie was leading to a material detriment of the vast majority of voters. On the carbon tax, the argument was it would push power prices up for everyone on... um, the budget, it was cutting health and education for
0: everyone. This time they're creating winners.
1: On this occasion, the lie is to give you money. You bastard, you lied to me to give me more tax. So it's a different, the the so-called broken promise leads to a material advantage for the vast majority. So I'm not predicting that it won't hurt that. There will be those video grabs of Albanese saying "my word is my bond," but does that override the fact that money's being put in people's pockets? I don't know. Mm.
0: People seem to have chilled out a bit over summer as well, with a with a boost in the number saying that Australia is heading in the right direction, and a drop uh, in those saying it's on the wrong track. What did you see there?
1: Yeah, it's a little bit, isn't it? It's gone from 51 wrong track to 49, 2%. I don't know if that's chilling out, but um, wrong direction, 29, right direction, 29 to 32. Um, It does run with my theory that summer is a time for incumbents because people just Calm down and disengage from the noise. But I do think it's been a particularly noisy summer as well. You know, you've had um, Peter Dutton whipping up all the fear and loathing against Woolies and the Australian cricket team for not doing their national duty on Australia Day, which you might talk about later. I've had Barnaby whipping up the regions on renewables. Um, you've had um, the ABC in all sorts of turmoil over the way that they um, managed... The, the social media posts of one of their um, Sydney casual announcers around um, Gaza. So there's been a lot of heat and it's also for a lot of Australia been pretty bloody hot too. You know, if, I think it's the most humid summer on record up the, up the east coast. So normally you'd expect that to go right direction. If you're sitting on the beach, the right direction probably would be more than 32%. But, yeah, there's been a little bit of a break in that sort of onward decline we've been seeing for a while.
0: You should poll humidity. I want to. I want to see if people want a hot, dry, or a, a or a muggy or a muggy summer. That's uh, <laughs> February
1: is meant to be the hottest month. Someone was telling me the other day. Maybe we will ask. Do you prefer humidity? Yeah, do it.
0: Yeah. Um, while you said small change in the right or wrong direction, it's even more status quo. Uh, looking at the approval or disapproval of of the leaders, there's not much movement there for Anthony Albanese or Peter Dutton, is there?
1: No, nah, his disapproval is. Steady at 47, approval down one from 42 to 41. So that's a net negative of five. For Peter Dutton, what is interesting, it's all pretty stable, but his disapproval is actually lower than Albanese's now. He's 43 Disapprove. His approval's lower to 38. He did not really have a summer holiday. He was shouty right across summer. And everything I've seen on the polling of Dutton is that all he ever does is reinforce what people already think about him. So he spent the summer reinforcing, embedding, you know, his disapproval numbers up a tad and um, keeping a pretty low approval base as well. Mm. You know, which is the other thing, like for Dutton to decide that his path to power is going to just be to destroy Anthony Albanese for having broken a promise he's starting from a pretty low base because his own personal approvals are low. And I don't think any, you know, opposition leaders, the character starts being constructed in that sort of last year before an election. I don't think he's really felt the the, the heat of being either held to his account for his time in power, you know, his role as health minister when the um, Medicare co-payment was bought in, um, his, his work in a whole bunch of portfolios where, um, empathy wasn't his strong suit. Whereas we'll get to the next election, I think people have a pretty clear idea about who the Prime Minister is, notwithstanding that there is, you know, a cost of living crisis ongoing. And let's get back to the reason the government's made these changes is to put more money into the pockets of people who need it without risking ongoing inflation. Um, If that works, a lot of the problems sort of turn away, like... Before Christmas, Catherine, I think in the last one we did, asked me, you know, what should the PM do? And I said, pray the global situation improves and the global inflation pressures ease. And then the policies that Labor's working on have, have an opportunity to actually make a material difference to voters' lives, both in terms of interest rates and also these other drivers of costs, such as groceries, such as energy, such as housing.
0: That's why I think they they wanted to rejig stage three, is if, if they didn't do something like that, then they were really hostage to the business cycle where it just, you know, if inflation went down, if interest rates went down, they'd be well positioned for the next election, but if not, uh, they would be in trouble. And it's just, it's not a good position to be in to just be, uh, you know, have your political fortunes so dependent on external factors. Now they can say, look, we, you know, we we gave you cost of living relief. We tried to make a difference mm. for your ability to pay bills. And, you know, maybe global inflation will stay higher for longer and, and some people will be annoyed about that, but they'll be able to say, well, at least we did something about it. So you're not, you're not just sitting there waiting for, um, you know, what the ticker tape says uh, about... Yeah,
1: I think there's one more thing that we shouldn't discount that's kind of there as well, which is if Labor had waved this through, they were effectively flattening the progressive tax system in a way that Scott Morrison and the Libs had designed. And I understand why they didn't fight the last election on that. But if Labor was to go to the next election and the main things that they were seen to have delivered was orcus and a flattening of the tax system, it would have been a pretty heavy lift to get the base and the energy to to actually get people to fight for the re-election of the Labor government. It would have opened up massive space on the left flank as well. So I think it deals with the retail politics at the moment, but I think it is also a much more tenable position now that Labor can take to the next election to talk about their first term in office. Mm.
0: Now, one of the culture war issues uh, that you mentioned that that roiled over uh, summer was uh, Woolworths uh, not selling Australia Day merchandise because people weren't buying it, uh, which seems like a, a pretty good reason to stop selling it. But maybe that's just my opinion.
1: Cheap knockoff flags from Taiwan. You know, it's great to see Peter Dutton taking a, taking a stand on the things that matter, right?
0: You didn't ask about Woolworths, but you did ask about what people were doing for Australia Day and well, you found a a resurgence of nationalism, have you? Yeah, well, it's gone up
1: from 27% in 22 to 35%. So 35% saying they're doing something actively to um, celebrate Australia Day. 55% say it's just another day. So that was interesting. And it's also interesting beside another question that we asked, which was perceptions of change in the standard of living for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. This year, there has been a significant increase in the number of people that say Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Things have been getting better for them over the last 10 years. So that's gone up about five points to being in the high 40s. So we've got this... I think almost a combination coming out of the the failure of the voice referendum that there's kind of a more, a group that is more asserting traditional ideas of Australian nationalism via the Australia Day but also rejecting the reality that faces a lot of our First Nations brothers and sisters that um, material conditions for them are awful and um, not heading in the right direction. So... I can't say that there is a causal connection, but the fact that both those data points moved, I think, is, is curious at mm. least. And, you know, probably if it hadn't been for the tax, I could have waxed lyrical in a long column on all of this, but instead um, we had to talk about lies because um, that is the biggest game in town this week.
0: Mm. Another possible ripple effect from the voice referendum could be people's response to what should happen now on a republic um, where, you know, uh, there was an increase, most of it all, in people saying that they're unsure what should happen now. Yeah,
1: so support for the Australian becoming a republic was down from just a point to 42. Opposition was down and unsure was up. Um, I think that is an extremely moot point. Um, I think over the summer, Labor's putative minister for the republic, Matt Thistlethwaite, very quietly um Put the republic in the round filing cabinet in the corner of his office. I don't think there is going to be another referendum in the next couple of terms of government. And for those of us that you know, would like to see an Australian head of state, that's that's disappointing. Um, I do think that there is still a real argument to rethink the way our democracy operates. In a way, republican principles are actually about giving people more power, and there's. lot of ways that can happen without a referendum and maybe part of what those of us that have always associated ourselves or identified ourselves as republicans can do is think about some of those other ways of building out citizen power ideas like deliberative democracy like you know human rights but yeah i think that notion that there was going to be this momentum from Voice to Republic to Treaty, like that story has kind of ended at the first chapter, and it'll
0: take a different time to get that going again. Mm. And the, the the increase in unsure about the Republic, to me, I was just reading as, oh, you know why bother asking this? We know that you can't win one of these referendum things anymore. So, you know, it shows how high the bar is for changing the Australian constitution. Yeah. Now, other controversies you mentioned over summer, sacking of a a journalist over sharing social media posts about the Israel-Palestine conflict. Um, Is there any evolution in how Australians are feeling uh, about that conflict?
1: So with Israel-Palestine, we'd Benchmarked a question from back in October asking people effectively whether the government should provide active assistance to either Israel, Palestine or stay out of the conflict. The number that are saying stay out of the conflict entirely is up to 67%. 17% would like to see active assistance to Israel and 16% to Palestine. The Palestine number's down five points. The 17% um, is stable from November the numbers saying that the Israeli response is proportionate has gone down from 42 to 32 um, and the number that are satisfied with the Australian government's response is down to 29 and the levels of people concerned about what this is going to do globally and within Australia is been pretty stable the whole way through in the 60s. So I think it's nothing like the trauma that would be involved in that part of the world, but it is a traumatic backdrop to, And there are a lot of communities obviously in Australia that have got personal connections there as well. So in terms of that earlier thing that it was a really, it wasn't your normal summer, it was muggy, it was angry. It was just another, another through line, I think, of that. And, you know, it doesn't feel like there's going to be anything to relieve that particular humidity anytime soon. But it did also drag our friends at the National Broadcaster into yet another culture war.
0: When you asked about what people think of the ABC, there was no context about um, why you were asking it and about the uh, sacking that we've we've referred to. You just said, uh, do you think the news reporting and comment on the ABC is independent and unbiased?
1: That's right. Often what we'll try to do, even if there's something happening, rather than you polling people on what do you think about this, you get a question you've asked over time so you can get a sense of movement if, if, if opinions are changing. So 39 39% say yes, they think the um, news reporting and comment on the ABC is independent and unbiased. And an equal number think 39% think it is not independent
0: and unbiased. So there's some balance. Actually, when you look at the age brackets for this... Um, I thought it might be the oldies that think that the ABC is too left wing, but they actually are a lot more in favour of the a- of the ABC, sort of 41% of the over 55s.
1: That's the youngins thinking they're not progressive enough, yeah?
0: Hey? Yeah, 41% of the over 55s think independent and unbiased.
1: Come on, Guardian, where's your culture war on the ABC? Don't let Murdoch have it the, all to themselves.
0: God. But, yeah, 18 to 34s, 41% say no, uh, so not independent and biased.
1: Which I would, if I was saying what's going on there, you would because disproportionately younger people are more likely to say that they want to see support for Palestine. I think there's something in the way that those the, the, the issue we've been talking about with Antoinette, Latouf and the ABC is probably playing on that. God, we asked a lot of questions. I I think it was because it was hard to get a handle on what was going to be it, so we just sort of threw the kitchen sink at it. So um, we've given you ABC, Republic, Australia Day, Indigenous, tax, leaders, personalities, right, wrong direction.
0: AI is the only one we haven't asked you about. Um, From from the TikTok generation to the need to regulate algorithms, Mm. what did we find uh, people wanted in terms of artificial intelligence?
1: People want action. So... Um, When you ask people, do you think AI in workplaces, society, in everyday life carries more risk than opportunity or more opportunity than risk? 45 say it's risky, 21% say it provides more opportunity and 33 see it as the same. Um, you would have seen the government put out a position paper on AI regulation that is one step short, I think, of actual regulation but is talking about the process towards regulation, which is a mix of um, largely voluntary regulations for industry and um, the promise of future mandatory regulation. If you ask people would they rather have mandatory or voluntary, they say overwhelmingly mandatory I know it's complex, I know there's thinking through. My concern as someone that's quite active in digital rights, which I think the whole thing was portrayed a little bit like, we've got to have, we've got to increase trust in AI so everyone will use it. Um, There is a counter story that says we've actually got to create parameters so it's used well. And I don't think we're quite at that place with the way the government's approaching it at the moment. But um, that is probably a set of questions for a quieter fortnight if such a thing
0: exists. Mm. So that's what the robots want you to say. you know push it, push it off another few weeks and then uh, then they get you in the meantime. <laughs> I think that might be uh, all we have time for, so I think the robots might get their wish. Uh, thank you so much for joining us this week, Peter.
1: Pleasure Paul, talk to you again soon.
0: This episode was produced by Alison Chan and Karishma Luthria. The EP is Miles Martignoni. I'm Paul Karp and we'll have another episode of Australian Politics this Saturday.